Welcome to a new episode of Sportive. Today's episode is about sport with a purpose. Albi Sher is a British passionate cricketer who, along with his brother Edo Mapelimotsi and many others, managed to establish a cricket stadium in Kichukiro neighborhood in Kigali, Rwanda, and delivered the Gahanga Cricket Stadium that opened in October 2017. Let me first state that as a Burundian, I was pleasantly surprised to hear that Rwandan people were playing cricket. I remember watching some highlights on the Supersport channels, but to my knowledge, nothing was happening in Rwanda. I learned that the game came into the country following the 1994 genocide against the Tutsi by Rwandans who had fled the country to seek refuge in the neighboring countries such as Kenya, Uganda and Tanzania and brought the game back home. Hearing from Albi sharing about the beginning of the non-profit organization Cricket Builds Hope, an original idea from his late father Christopher Scher, to where he would like to see the game evolve in 10 years, made me realize that more than that, Cricket has brought life lessons to a community that needed it after having been through tough times. Rwanda is not part of the Commonwealth, even though over first a German than a Belgian colony. Here is to cricket for being a magnificent tool as an agent for good and soft power. I am Alexandra Yamoyabouyi, founder and CEO of The Catalyst, a consulting firm that works in tourism and sports with a focus on Africa, where opportunities are everywhere, be it in sports, finance, entertainment, or redefining leadership, you name them. I'm also the host of Parole Podcast, where I bring relevant stories again with a focus on Africa. Interviews are held in English and in French. You can follow Sportive Podcast on Instagram at SportivePod, share this episode and comment. Subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor and other platforms and leave a review. One, welcome to a new episode of Sportive and today's guest is... Mr. Albishale. Who is Mr. Albishale other than he's a cricketer, an enthusiastic athlete? I'll say that. How would you describe yourself? I would describe myself as a curious person who tries to be more interested than interesting. I love <laughs> people and I don't take life for granted and really try and make the most of it and mm -hmm. work on things that I'm passionate about and um, are trying to, you know, spread some joy in the world. There you go. Uh, so for the audience, the main reason I called you here is because you are, you have built with your British, uh, I'll say British person that you are a cricket person. Uh, that's my idea of a British person, actually. It's either football or cricket. You build something called Cricket Builds Hope in Rwanda with your brother. Tell us about that. Well, first thing I'd say was that it was far more than just me and my brother. Mm -hmm. And it really is part of our success, I think, that it wasn't just uh, down to one person or two brothers. It was a real collective effort. And mm -hmm. I got way too much of the credit for the success that we had. It was a uh, You know, it was a partnership between, you know, big brands like Yorkshire Tea and Surrey Cricket Club, the Rwandan government, even the British government, big charities like Comic Relief. But in terms of what we did, we realized that cricket was playing a reconciliatory role in society in Rwanda mm. and that it had a really powerful uh, narrative and um, natural social impact that was associated with it. And one of the things that was preventing the game from going to the next level, both in terms of participation and uh, reconciliation and you know, impact, 
was a lack of facilities. And mm. so we raised about one and a half million pounds. And through the grace of God and a lot of tenacity and hard work, we built what's now called the Field of Dreams or the Lords of East Africa in Kigali. And we've now pioneered sports for, sport for change programs at our stadium. And we're using the game and the spirit of the game as a vehicle for social change in Rwanda. First, I'll be interested about knowing why this interest in, in Africa. Um, I think for me and my fellow compatriots, if I can say that, we tend to believe that if you do invest in Africa, you kind of need to know about Africans as well. What is this relationship that you have with Africa or with the East Africa, actually? Well, if you think about your history, we all originated from Africa. And so in some ways, we all are connected if you go back a long, long, long time. And my fascination with the, with the continent started in my, uh, in my early years when I was sort of nine years old. I used to go to Kenya a lot with my family and explore, um, explore Kenya, both as a sort of conventional tourist, but then also as someone who had friends, you know, both local and international who lived there. And I fell in love with the continent. And I say the continent with, with reticence because, you know, it's a huge, it's yeah. a huge place. And most of my experience has been in East Africa. Um, that being said, I've spent a bit of time in, in South Africa and West Africa. It was something that got in my skin. I, I fell in love with, um, many different parts of it the the landscape you know it's breathtaking mm. the animals that you can go and see are you know unparalleled around the world but the people as well they really stuck with me their kindness mm. their enthusiasm for life and just the opportunities that um east africa presented for a young person who who cared a lot about about people mm. and I felt a connection to other real human beings that were, you know, equally as interested in, in other people. And so that's where my sort of fascination emerged. And then I spent more time exploring both with my mother and my father and together as a family uh, to places like Zimbabwe and um, mm -hmm. as I said, South Africa. And Rwanda was one of the ones that we went to sort of in my late teenage years. And it just struck me that, you know, this was an atrocity that wasn't just in the, in the history books. You know, this was something that happened mm -hmm. when I was alive. And that really sort of hit me, you know, because as a generation, if you're, if you're born sort of 1990 onwards, most of the, you know, the atrocities that you learn about at school are the ones that happened well before you were born and you sort of feel this sense of progress and the fact that well that was that was then and and, and this mm. is now and sort of we live in this bubble of safety and security and yet Rwanda was a, a great example of how evil the world can be mm. uh, or at least the genocide rather and um and yet also how how positive and how bright the world can be too, given their progress over the last 17 years. And so, you know, that story was, was fascinating to me and still is today because it's so alien to, you know, the privileged bubble that I 
grew up in in uh, in London, England. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to ask you that. Um, what was the first encounter of maybe I'll say traumatic because at the same time you kind of maybe you didn't know when you were younger, and we talked about that last time. Is um, how would you know you were young? But your first encounter of like this is what happened while I was alive, and I want to do something because obviously it's a um, foundation organization that you built with your brother, but there is a link to your father as well. What did you see there and be like, I really want to follow up? Well, a large part of the reason why we did the work that we did was because of the vision that my father had. It's not to say I wasn't connected to the mission and a passionate believer of the, of the power of reconciliation, but I don't want mm. To get the credit for being the person with the vision because my father had the vision and i was i was essentially given the assignment because of his his passing but the country touched me very deeply at a at a seminal age you know i was maybe 17 18 the first time i went to rwanda mm -hmm. and at a very personal perspective, you know, seeing how it affected my father and how he fell in love with the people and with the projects that he was working on around education and entrepreneurship. And again, as a young boy going to, to see these places and, you know, visiting the memorials and the museums, it can't help but leave a huge impression on you about mm. how ignorant you are about the world. And just the tragedy and the trauma and the, you know, the real, the real terrifying events that, that took place. And it makes you aware of your privilege. It makes you aware of how lucky you are to live in the places that you live and how important it is to, to expand your understanding of the world. You know, people say you are what you eat. And I also think you are what you experience. And I experienced that, uh, you know, sort of in my late teens, some conversations and connections and some experiences that were, yeah, just deeply profound and taught me a lot about the sort of multifaceted world that we live in mm. and the importance of, you know, looking up from your screen and actually looking at what's happening around you and learning about what's happened mm. previously. Yeah. Um, so tell us about the genesis of the project then. What did you need? What did you see? Who helped you out? Uh, obviously, the government of Rwanda, I believe, may have played a, um, a really good, great role in all of this. How did you start this endeavor, knowing that maybe you didn't speak in Rwanda? You, um, I joked last time that you may, you may not speak Swahili. Um, <laughs> I can say a bit of things in Swahili. I can say Nisa Dia Natasko Moja, which I think means like, <laughs> can I have a beer, please? <laughs> the essentials. Uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, what, what, what was for someone who really, yeah, who understood that one has to do something, what was your first uh, steps? I've always loved this idea that the powerful play goes on and you may contribute a verse. And it was a privilege and an honor to be assigned this final verse for my dad who had this vision for using this great game that we both loved mm. as a vehicle for social change in Rwanda. He'd made a few calls. He'd really shown 
vision and appetite and enthusiasm to solve what was a really, really big problem. Hmm. The lack of facilities in a country where, you know, cricket was growing. It wasn't around before the genocide and therefore wasn't damaged by what had happened during the genocide. And it was a natural place for Hutus and Tutsis to come and play this beautiful game together and treat each other like Rwandans, like cricketers, not based on their ethnicities. And, you know, I had the privilege of playing on the old ground a few times and hearing the stories about bone fragments still being in the outfield because that's where two and a half thousand people were slaughtered during the genocide. If you've ever seen the film Shooting Dogs, that portrays the scene of what actually happened in um, the very place that the national team plays or played cricket on a regular basis. And that symbolism and the, the trauma associated with that history and playing this beautiful game on this this burial site, basically, this massacre site was, mm. was very powerful. And it's, um, it's a, uh, it's a really, it was a really strong sense of symbolism moving away from the past to a new site that had brand new facilities it was a platform to grow the game and a platform to amplify the impact that the game was having. And so with the support of, you know, individuals like David Cameron, who is the chairman of our charity, a wonderful board of board of trustees led by one of the most remarkable men I've ever come across, Richard Nickel, who has been tireless in his efforts and works behind the scenes for you know half a decade and has got no credit for it and deserves far more than he has. And as I mentioned previously, sponsors like Yorkshire Tea, Surrey Cricket Club. Volcano Safaris, you know, even corporates like TLG who've all put in money and really helped us raise what was a lot of money to then build a, a piece of infrastructure and architecture that was completely unique. Mm. And it was very difficult to build. But with that comes a sense of symbolism about this new, this new world that Rwanda cricket is entering into and it's not a white elephant it's designed in a way that really is commensurate with Rwandan culture with predominantly local materials mm -hmm. and it was one of the hardest things we've ever had to do but as I said through the grace of God a lot of tenacity and perseverance and some great patrons like Brian Lara and Jonathan Agnew and Heather Knight and Michael Vaughan and a few others, we've managed to to pull off what was a very challenging project that lots mm -hmm. of people didn't think we could do. And this is hopefully just the first chapter of an incredible story of, of Rwanda cricket. And, um, you know, it's also a really good example of cross-sector partnerships. You know, the private sector donated a lot of money. The charitable sector, you know, philanthropy, contributed a lot of money and the public sector the rwandan government they gave us the land for free which was incredibly generous of them and associations like the rwanda cricket association and um, ourselves we all worked together around a shared vision because it had 
clear mutual benefit there was a there was a vision and established common ground and that's the recipe for success absolutely i did say that i was quite jealous about uh, the stadium because it's pretty it's pretty nice you know let's just be honest uh where do you see the rondon crickets going actually although you're not responsible for their <laughs> for their advancement but just the fact that you did what you did where do you wish to see in upcoming i just say 10 20 years well i'm going to correct you and said we did what we did because it really really wasn't just me and i want to keep making that point True. but um it's because you're the one on the line i <laughs> so, know yeah. i appreciate it i appreciate it yeah. I, um, i just want to make that point really clear hmm. and um in terms of where we are i mean it's it's a really interesting time for Rwanda it's a really interesting time for Rwandan cricket there is a real opportunity to follow in the footsteps of countries like Afghanistan and Nepal which have really come through the ranks and are now you know part of the the global stage of cricket and cricket is a mm. niche sport in many ways both in terms of its following and the mm. idiosyncrasies of the game and yet and this is largely because of india it is the second most popular sport on the planet and it's a game that is growing particularly women's cricket is mm -hmm. uh, is a force to be reckoned with and rwanda has a really good opportunity to be part of that growth and the long term vision is to replicate what afghanistan has done particularly and get both male and female teams into you know into world cups and mm -hmm. to make sure that you know Rwanda is not just known for the genocide and for the guerrillas but also for cricket and not just for performance but also impact the way that this sport has been a relentless force for good in in a country that's had such a traumatic time in the last well 50 years and um you know having facilities is a big is a big part of that and yeah you know we're focused on the we being cricket builds hope we're focused on the um the social impact side of things we're focused on developing programs that use the stadium and the enthusiasm of the game as a mm. as a catalyst for programs focused on gender and gender empowerment you know wrestling against things like um female genital mutilation sexual reproductive health leadership programs entrepreneurship programs <laughs> you know nelson mandela talks about sport having the power to change the world and we've seen that in in rwanda through many sports not just cricket mm -hmm. but we're really focused on making sure as this game grows and it is close to being the fastest growing sport in the country and as that growth continues our job is to make sure that both men and women have as many opportunities to play that game but also opportunities to use this game and the the community center that is the facility mm -hmm. as a way to uh, impact you know more people in the Rwanda communities just to put things in perspective i'm burundian brought up in burundi i lived through the genocide myself, uh, the Burundian genocide. And I know that the, the weight of 
being in an environment that is so traumatic and everything. And I know that sports brought me lots of help, mental help uh, associated with it. What do we do with what you have? We don't have yet cricket, but with your foundation, with the organization, I kind of want to be part of it, if you know what I mean, like just because of the programs that you have, as you said, the leadership and the youth uh, women empowerment. But at the same time, I'm from Burundi and I don't know much about cricket. Can you tell me more? <laughs> Can you tell me about the game, basically? Sure. As I said earlier, I use the word in idiosyncrasy and it is, it's a complex game. Mm. And with that creates barriers to entry. It's also a resource intensive game. Uh, you need bats and balls and you need stumps, which are these wooden things that are put mm -hmm. into the ground. And ideally you need bales, which are these smaller wood things that go on the bigger wood things that go into the ground. Ideally you have, you have umpires and you have, you know, 22 people. Oh, and, okay. you know, that is, that's different from sort of four people getting together and kicking a football around. Yeah. And, and with that comes a, a problem in terms of uh, expanding the game. It's, as I say, a resource intensive game. Mm -hmm. And yet with that, I think it's, you know, therein lies the, lies the fascination. If I had to correlate it with another, another sport or another idea, it would be like chess. Oh, okay. It's, it's, it's the chess of the ball sports in, in my view because of its complexity and because of the tactics and the strategy. It's an independent sport and an individual sport in, in many ways, and yet you're part of a team. The reason why it's an individual sport is because batsman is going against bowler and you're there by yourself. And yet you're also part of a team. And your job is to try and, if you're batting, score runs. And you score runs by hitting the ball into the outfield and then running from one side of the pitch mm -hmm. uh, to the other. And you're doing that in tandem with your other batsman who was at the other end and is running side by side with you or in the opposite direction to the way you're running. That's how you score runs. You score a four or a six if you hit the ball and it hits the boundary, which is the, the circular thing, goes around the, uh, around the pitch. And then you get a six if you hit it over that boundary without the ball bouncing. And the idea is that you accumulate runs as an individual and that contributes towards your team score. Mm -hmm. If you get out, and there are plenty of ways to get out, you can be caught, you can be bowled where the ball, you miss the ball and it hits those wooden sticks that I was telling you about. You can get out leg before wicket, which is a complicated rule, but essentially if the ball hits your leg mm -hmm. and you miss, you know, you miss hitting it and uh, it hits your leg, and it was going to go on and hit those stumps, those wooden things, then you can be out if the umpire thinks the ball was going to hit oh, okay. the stump. So that's leg before wicket. And then there are, there are other forms of getting out, like being run outs where you get stuck. You're trying to make it to the other end and the person in the field has grabbed the ball, thrown it, and it's hit one of those wooden sticks before you've managed to get into your safe space, into the 
into the crease you know you've managed to get from okay. one side of the side to the other so there's plenty of ways to get out and mm -hmm. as i say that sort of individual competition between bowler and batsman is is a fascinating one and okay what you're also seeing but this is more at international level although it has a correlation with the rwanda story is that the different conditions the different conditions of the weather of mm -hmm. the pitch and of oh. the time of day that you play, of the ball that you use, have a massive oh. impact on the game. So at the moment, England are playing in India, and it's a completely different game to the one that you would see if England were okay. playing India in England, because in India, the ball spins a lot off the pitch because the weather dries up the pitch and it makes okay. the ball move in a very different way than it would in England because England is cold and wet and the pitches um, and the weather conditions mean that the ball swings a lot more than it spins. And so all of this sort of complexity and God forbid I use the word nuance, but nuance... <laughs> Uh, leads to it being a fascinating game and mm -hmm. you know, people often roll their eyes because it it sometimes takes five days to complete one game that's true that's true and yet you know in a world where we're obsessed with instant gratification and everybody's in a rush and you know are becoming like you know cinema and you know it's all about making money the purity of cricket is is truly fascinating it's also the only game that in the rules of the game it talks about the spirit of the game you can actually be Ooh. essentially red carded if you don't uphold the spirit of the game for example if a batsman is out or knows he's out but the umpire doesn't actually give him out mm -hmm. many people would encourage and applaud the batsman to walk to actually oh, walk off the pitch okay. All right. and admit that he is out because of the spirit of the game and that sort of spirit is what okay. subtly we think is impacting um the rwandan culture in some ways interesting this kind of reminds me of someone who was trying to explain to me the spirit of rugby although i know the <laughs> rules i was like what but it's interesting at the end of the day i'm gonna say this i'd rather play tennis or mm. I'll, I'll check first. I'll check cricket because I remember like the last time I checked was like, yeah, you could play for five days and <laughs> I could do for five hours. It's fine. Mm. But anyway, to reach their own. But it's an interesting thing. Uh, I would like to jump on this thing that you talked um, about a little bit last time was uh, the power of the words and how, you know, words change the world. Mm. And I really liked your... Um, the way you, yeah, the way you said it and the way you you describe it in the Rwandan context, and I'll even say the East African context. What are you trying to do now? Because obviously, I being a Burundian, I don't want to be known for just being coming from a country that's known for violence, and same for Rwanda. And I will say step by step, you're changing the atmosphere. You and others, obviously, it's not Albichel only. What did you see as an individual role? Because you, you say that this was an assignment and as powerful as it is, you know, an assignment has, I think at some point it ends. What mm -hmm. do you see yourself doing? Um, maybe, in a, you know, I don't know, in the near future in something that really 
we'll say I'm changing the, man, I'm going to say narrative, but yeah, the narrative of the country, of the region. Well, firstly, I would never take ownership of taking on changing the narrative of the, of the country or the region, because that is uh, a job for the Rwandan government. True. And it's, I would never, if I spent my entire life in Rwanda, I would never understand the complexities of the culture mm. as well as a local. And it's not up for me to decide what the narrative is. My job and our job as a charity has always been to try and address a problem that we recognized and support the growth of uh, of cricket in Rwanda and not to be a political organization. That being said, hugely grateful to the Rwandan government and to President Kagame for supporting our initiative. You know, every country is complex. Every country has supporters and, you know, critics. And it's not really up for us to intervene in, in that conversation. We serve our our customers, and by customers, I mean, you know, the people who we believe that we can help through our programs and through the growth of, of cricket in Rwanda. And we're really laser focused on, on growing the game and supporting the Rwanda Cricket Association, growing the game and making sure that as the game grows, the impact of the game grows as well. Mm -hmm. In terms of the wider context and how that applies to Rwandan society, as I say, if some people see Rwanda as not just about the genocide in the gorillas, but also about cricket, then that's a wonderful, mm. that's a wonderful, you know, data point for for our progress. And you know, cricket is a hugely popular sport, and yet there are very few organizations that use the game as a vehicle for yeah. social change. And it's frustrating to see because football has honestly thousands of charities yeah, that use the game as a sport for change uh, or as a vehicle for social change. And cricket has comparatively few. And so we would like to, you know, build presence in other countries if funding allows, but also not take, our eyes off, you know, what we're working towards, which is a sustainable facility and a community center that really is, you know, serving the local community mm -hmm. and the support of a game that is nascent, but growing and making sure that, you know, every opportunity is provided to men and women that want to play this game. And throughout the game is not just seen through the lens of let's get more people to play but also how can we use this this wonderful game to impact lives all right i'm gonna finish on this i'm thanking you for for the work you guys have done and you guys keep on doing especially during the covid uh, season i assume it's not an easy thing to do but um yeah i think for someone who is from east africa who loves sports it is great to hear people who um, not helping, but encouraging other people less fortunate to to embrace leadership for sports. And it's something really that speaks to me. So I want to take this time to thank you for your work and for your future endeavors as well. And who knows, maybe we'll meet in, in the UK or even in France. I'm not sure if in France they do have cricket stadiums or something <laughs> like that. But at least in a park or something, or even in Rwanda. I um, love that. 
thank you for the opportunity to um to share my story and to answer your your curious questions and uh, <laughs> i haven't been to burundi yet and i'm i'm very keen to go so come you know, on maybe there's uh there's an opportunity there to explore together let's do that maybe we'll do another guinness record because i saw something on there and i was like mm. oh interesting we'll do one week because i love so- a challenge <laughs> it's a great way to catalyze interest and i mean we come managed on. to it was great we got we've got both the men and the women to tackle extraordinary records and wow. it was uh it was a wonderful wonderful moment in my life watching watching these people get a huge amount of credit and you know get yeah. sponsors and um raise money for a project they also really cared about no thank you seriously it's uh, it's uh, it's an amazing thing and yeah maybe in france playing cricket uh do you play tennis just in case i do I okay do and if i get tired we'll play tennis <laughs> and uh yeah and for for this i will leave you there and have wishing you a great day because i heard birds or something like that <laughs> and yeah thanks alex look after yourself